Becky Olson is a five-time cancer survivor, public speaker, founder of Breast Friends nonprofit and radio show, and a bucket list champion. Additionally, she's an incredible mother, grandmother, friend, and wife. Her cancer is back and it's spread, and she is still focusing on humor, happiness, and hope. She's the mother of our first ever guest, Elizabeth McGarry, and like her daughter, this episode is full of truth bombs and aha moments. In addition to how she can impact your life, listen for how you can help her check off a major item on her bucket list from the comfort of your couch. All that and so much more coming up, but first, welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Kara. I'm really, really happy to be here. Me too. I'm excited because this is the first time that we have had one guest and then a year, about a year later, we get to have their mother on the podcast. <laughs> Whose mother are you? Who are you? And what are you up to? <laughs> well, my daughter is Elizabeth Olson McGarry, and she was your first guest, I believe. And she was. So I'm her mother. I am Becky Olson. And what am I up to? Oh, my gosh. That's, that's always kind of a loaded question because there's so many things going on right now. But um, I am a professional speaker and been doing a lot of, of events for a long time. Of course, now with our new world of the coronavirus, things have kind of been put a little bit on, on the back burner at the moment. But, uh, but I'm still trying to stay busy doing some of these things. And talking to you is, is kind of the highlight of my day. So well, maybe my I week. love that. <laughs> um, and what was it that kicked off your speaking career? Well, you know, Kara, I have always been in love with the stage. I have. I mean, even as a little girl, <laughs> as a little girl, I remember competing in talent shows when I was like second grade, and and competing at a Kmart. Um, talent show when I think I was 12 and I didn't win but I placed and I got to pick out the album of my choice so I picked I picked <laughs> the Rubber Soul album by the Beatles I don't know why but I love the songs on there but it's um, you know I've always been in love with the stage I guess maybe being a little bit of a ham and and you know getting applause is always kind of fun but um, I think the real change happened for me as I was growing up and kind of going through life and trying to figure things out, I still, I always wanted to be a professional speaker. And I thought it would be really fun to find a topic that I could really grab hold of and kind of sink my teeth into it. And the one subject that kind of kept coming up, but led nowhere was sales, because I was pretty good as a sales rep. And I thought I had a lot of things I could probably teach people. And, and it was a strength, but I could not open one door doing that. And it wasn't until 1996 when I got diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember thinking, well, I guess you do need a subject when you speak. And now I have one. And it was a pretty tough diagnosis. Um, a lot of times when you get diagnosed the first time, it's usually, you know, the goal is to try to catch it early and try to figure it out early so it doesn't have a chance to grab hold. And, but I was stage three by the time we, we found it. And um, we, did, we did beat it, at least it felt like it at the time. And I went many years without a recurrence. But, but the bottom line is that gave me the input that I needed. What, what can I share from the stage that might have meaning to somebody? And it was definitely this idea of surviving cancer and trying to do, you know, whatever's I don't know how to say this. Um, 
we all have things in our lives that we can contribute and and it all can look different and those things change over time but I wanted to try to find a way to give back in some capacity to help people and help women get through this tough battle this tough diagnosis and so that became my my mission and my my message I guess so that led me on to the stages and kind of been hanging out there ever since you know in different ways but yeah And um, I can only imagine how like devastating that first diagnosis was. And we're we're saying first Mm -hmm. because um, you've you're a five time cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was diagnosed for the fifth time um, about a year and a half ago. But but yeah, the first time I mean the first time anybody anybody hears those words you have cancer, it's like everything else just goes out the window at that moment. You don't hear another word being said. And that's why they always, well, we suggest if you are in for a diagnosis like that and they call you in to give you, you know, the news, take somebody with you because you're going to need that extra set of ears and somebody to write down things. But, um, but yeah, so that was my first time. That was in 1996. I really expected it to be my last time, but I've had the, uh, pleasure of going through this four times since then <laughs> so four additional times and uh and the last time was the toughest one of all of them because a year and a half ago they the breast cancer had come back but this time it had spread to my lungs and we battled that for a while <clears throat> excuse me and looked like you know somewhat recently that maybe we were getting that under control because um, I had a couple more scans and I had been on a trial, let me backtrack for a moment. Um, They put me on a trial for immune therapy. And just to see, immune therapy does not work on everybody, but if it does, it's it's a miracle drug. And, but you don't know until you try it. So we had to try it. It did not work for me. My, My cancer continued to grow, but it was still confined into my lungs. It was breast cancer that had spread and it was confined into this one area. And, um, and then he switched me to what they call the standard of care drug. It's kind of like, well, we could wait and see if this might eventually work. But, but I have a wonderful doctor who absolutely loves me, and I know this. And he said, I'm not willing to wait and see if it's going to take hold. Let's try something different. So he put me on something that they know has some positive impact. And, and that's the drug that I was, I'm having some level of success with. You know, I, I went in for a couple of scans and each time the tumors appeared to be a little bit smaller. So, you know, I'm thinking, hallelujah, we found the magic pill here. <laughs> but unfortunately, that kind of changed again. And my last scan that I had on March 9th of this year, which I know we're filming this on or recording this on April 5th. So it's been mm-hmm. a little bit less than a month, but it has spread. The tumors in my lungs have grown again. It's spread to my liver it is spread to my hips, my ribs, my spine, and there's even some spots in my skull. So, you know, we know it's there and it's pretty daunting at the moment, but, um, mm-hmm. but we still have hope. We've got me on a new drug now, and I just finished my first full week on it with minimal side effects, which was very cool and <laughs> a little bit surprising. I expected much worse than that, but, but it's, you know, it gives me hope every time we try something new that gives me hope. And until my doctor says to me, Becky, there's nothing more we can do, you know, uh, I'll continue to, to put some faith in the medical field. Mm-hmm. But honestly, Kara, my biggest hope, my biggest hope in all of this comes from my belief in God. 
and mm-hmm. people are praying for me. I'm going to cry. <laughs> people are praying for me all over the country. And I just would love to allow them to see victory in this too, because I yeah. think that will strengthen people's faith and, and give me a chance to be with my family and my kids longer too, which is certainly a big goal of mine right now. Sorry, yeah. I need to cry for a moment. <laughs> it's okay. You're not the first one to cry on the Powerful Ladies podcast. It's all right. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, you know, being someone who has received the cancer diagnosis five times, um, like I don't know anyone that that has had that number of diagnoses before. And I would imagine that every time you get it, it's like the first time all over again. Like, do you build up an armor to that? Does it become something that you manage as like another thing in life versus something that comes in like a hurricane? Like, how does your perspective change when it's a repeat occurrence versus the first time you hear it? You know, that is a really beautiful and thoughtful question. You know, the first time you hear something like this, it is earth shattering. You know, your Mm -hmm. life as you knew it, you know, now will never be the same. You know, we yeah. create a new normal that you don't even, you never heard that term before. I mean, what, what does that even mean? But as you go through this journey the first time, all of this is new. It's all uncharted waters and, and it's all new. And I don't want to use the word exciting because it's not. It's scary as hell. And I'm sorry to use that word, but it's really quite frightening. Um, and I remember saying to many people before my second diagnosis, is that the only thing worse than hearing I have breast cancer would be to hear that I had it again mm-hmm. until I heard that I had it again. And then it was kind of because my second diagnosis was an exact duplicate of my first one, but it was on the other side. It had moved from my right um, breast to my left breast, but it was not a recurrence. It was just a brand new, what they call a new primary site Mm -hmm. just started all over again. So I had just a second round of cancer. um, But again, because it was like a primary, it was as if it could have happened there first. But now at least I had a sense of what to expect. And I knew that I beat it the first time. And I just felt in my heart and in my gut that I would beat it again. And it was just, um, just another, now it was just kind of more of a hiccup, I guess, um, because it was a, a direct, it was just a duplicate of what I'd been through. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, I mean, the treatments were, I did a little different treatment this time. The first time around, I had a lumpectomy, which is where they just removed the lump itself. And yep. then we followed it up with radiation and then chemotherapy. And so I had very, had two very uneven breasts at the time. They looked kind of funny. Uh, there's stories around that. But, uh, <laughs> but the second time around, when I had it in the second site, I remember telling my doctor, you know what, I don't want to play this game anymore. Let's just remove both of them. You know, take the one that we did the lumpectomy on and just remove it and we'll remove this one because I don't want to play this game anymore. And we all agreed that was the right decision. So I had both of my breasts removed and it seemed to be fine for a while. And then that was in 2004, the second time. So there was eight years between the first time and the second time. And then it was five years after that in 2005 that a hot spot showed up. Now I have no breasts at this point. And I didn't, so we still did, we didn't do mammograms anymore, but we did PET scans. And a hot spot showed up in my sternum area. So it was just one 
and it was a, a lymph node that's in there. It's called the internal mammary node, and it showed up on that node that it was hot with cancer. So we had that radiated, and, um, and that seemed to take care of it. We thought it was gone, and that was in 2009. And then in 2017, it showed up there again, <laughs> So and kind of like right next to it, but in that same area. Mm-hmm. But again, just one spot. So we radiated again, and we're thinking it's gone again. And then it showed up that, that fifth time. And this time it showed up with some pretty difficult um, you know, things. It showed up in my lungs and in my, my uh, breathing pass- passage area. I, I can't remember where, if it was in my bronchial tube or where, but it was somewhere that was impacting breath. And, um, mm-hmm. and that made it different. So that, you know, up until then, it was kind of always been there, done that. We'll get through it, just another step in the path, you know. But this time was a little different. And, yeah. you know, and I think because it's so major now and, it, and I do have to recognize the difference in the in the, mm-hmm. the two so so when you you've been diagnosed you decide that you're going to start speaking about breast cancer the experience and surviving it um how did you choose what angle you wanted to speak um about breast cancer like there's so many people speaking about it kind of like life things evolve and my goal, my, my bottom line goal in all of it, even though the, the stories changed a little bit because, you know, you keep adding new stories, right? But bottom mm-hmm. line, Kara, it's without hope, we have nothing. And my message has always been about hope and trying to show um, that, you know, we all go through stuff. We all go through tough challenges and you know, benchmarks that we never thought we'd hit. And we go through stuff and it's not always good. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But we all experience different things. And it's not the thing that we experience that defines who we are. Because, you know, my story happens to be cancer, but somebody else's story might be the loss of a child or, you know, bankruptcy or divorce or, you know, overcoming all of those things. So it's not the thing that we that we get through that that defines us it's the, how we get through that thing that tells the story of who we are and I've always wanted to give hope to people and if I can find a way through the listening to my stories of some of the stuff I went through or if I can share somebody else's story and it gives them some sense of hope then then that's the bottom line and my signature talk when I would go out and speak at cancer groups was it's called humor happiness and hope and humor has always been a big part of my getting through all this stuff. And happiness really refers to finding joy in the small things that we do, regardless of what we're going through in our lives right now. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, hope. Just, you know, finding, finding ways to believe that we're going to get through yeah. this. You know? mm-hmm. And so though, that message has never changed. The stories that I tell along the way change. Sometimes they're a little more R-rated stories (laughs) than other stories, but it depends on my audience. Um, And sometimes it's very spiritual. It depends on who I'm speaking to there. And sadly, sometimes I get asked not to be spiritual. And so you still do, but you do it more subtly. (laughs) But but, so yeah, the the process changes, but the bottom line message, I think, is fairly consistent. Mm What are some of those things that bring you happiness? What are the things that bring me happiness? We just started 
a series and we're, we've only had one so far, but it was so awesome. Um, my daughter, Elizabeth, who you interviewed, um, pulled together a family Zoom bash the other day. <laughs> and we had all of, you know, we have five children. So all the kids called in. My husband and I were on the call. Our grandkids were kind of walking by and saying hello. But we did a Zoom a Zoom group meeting where we got to see all their faces at once. And that brought me an immeasurable amount of joy, just seeing all my kids in one space. And it was all contained in this little, like a foot and a half by, you know, 10 inch tall screen. <laughs> I could see them all at once. It was really, it was really cool. So it's just a, and I mean, this is all because of this coronavirus scare that's going on right now. But, you know, it's just sometimes it's the little things that, that bring us so much joy. My dog, I've got this adorable dog that sings with me. I, I giggle out loud because he's just funny. You know, one day, one day in our apartment complex, I took him for a walk and I could hear this beautiful voice singing opera in the parking lot. And so we followed the sound until we found her. And she was just probably 19, 20 years old, college student, probably singing her heart out for anyone who wanted to listen which is kind of how we find our magic these days, right? Well, my yes. dog was so, so taken by her. He wanted to get close. And the closer he got, the more inspired he got to sing with her. And <laughs> singing, and she stopped and starts giggling. And I mean, those things, it's little dumb stuff, but it brings me so much joy. I, yep. I don't know. What about you? What brings you joy? Oh my gosh, so much stuff. I really enjoy kind of what you're saying about finding the magic mm-hmm. in just every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many things to celebrate every day if we choose it. That's how we're going to look at the day. Um, I think that's a really fun game. If I'm going through a period where I'm like frustrated or bummed out or working too much or any of the gross negative things you don't want to feel, that's something that I'll come back to is... Um, I have a like a mini notebook that's like the magic notebook and I'll just write down things that I like that I can remember or things that I saw. Um, and I love seeing how people, because of being quarantined and self-isolating right now, that they're doing more of that. Like people posting videos of them just sitting in their garden, like at la- a ladybug doing something or a butterfly, like really looking at the small things yeah. that were so easy to skip over. Yeah, no, I agree. That's mm-hmm. really great. And just reminiscing and remembering silly things. T- today, Bill and I started laughing because, <laughs> you, uh, okay, so you know what voice to text is, right? Okay. Yes. So for those who don't know what voice to text means, just go ask a 12-year-old. They'll tell you. But bottom line is, you know, you're speaking into your phone. Instead of typing with little fingers on an EDBD keyboard, you can hit the microphone and you can say your message, right? But you have to add the punctuation because it doesn't know to add a comma or a period. Well, one day I was sitting in a chair and I was praying really very deeply and fervently. I was praying, and but not into my, just praying. It was without my phone. And I'm just like, dear Lord, thank you so much for everything you've done for us, period. I, really <laughs> I started adding punctuation. I'm, I'm going, wait. Did I just, <laughs> I just, so just remembering that moment made us both mm-hmm. crack up. And I mean, it's when you can laugh at little things like that in life, you know, sometimes it makes it easier to laugh at the big stuff. Not always, but you know, it, it helps mm-hmm. find, find ways to laugh at, at anything that brings you joy in that memory. Day. I, I'm always, 
Well, I'm always amazed at anyone that goes through something devastating, how they're often the ones that can be like see the most humor in it. Like you get to see all of it. I think about my friend Courtney, who we've interviewed on this podcast as well, um, was widowed because her husband got cancer at, you know, early 30s. Oh, wow. And when he passed, their son was like five months old and their daughter was four. And she's like, no, like this is absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous things have humor in them. It's totally unfair and it's heartbreaking and, and, and everything that you can say about it. But she is already one of the funniest people that I've known. <laughs> and to see her turning around and being like, oh, so the rest of my life, I get to still be mad at Pat because here he is, like, leaving me with these kids, like, still not helping clean the house, still not taking care of this. So um, some things never change, you know, <laughs> it never changes. Yeah. So it's so I really am just so amazed at, at especially women who have gone through, you know, what you have or she has and just. Like, it's not stopping who you are as a, a soul and a spirit and to, like, keep going. Yeah. No, and I agree. And, you know, again, we're all going to battle certain things in our lives and we can take it completely seriously. And, you know, and I think sometimes um, that is probably the thing that stops our friends sometimes from reaching out to us. Because um, let, let me backtrack on that just a moment. Being, being having a sense of humor is important, right? Not only for the person going through it, but also for your friends, you know, to be able to laugh with you, joke with you, if that's always been your relationship in the past. But sometimes people are afraid that they can't keep doing that with you because you're going through something serious right now. And if I try to be silly me and do the things that, that we used to laugh about together, you're going to think I don't take what you're going through seriously. And so then they back away. And now what's missing? Now you're missing out on this beautiful friendship from someone who's always been able to make you laugh. And, and I, think it's, I think it happens more than we want to talk about. And an opposite of that is I have a friend named Patty, and she was married to Dennis. And when I went through cancer the first time and I was losing my hair, that was really traumatic for me. People say, oh, it's just hair. It'll grow back. It's like, yeah, you shave your head and then we'll talk about that, you know. But, uh-huh. um, but it was really devastating because not, I mean, the hair loss, I, I felt already middle-aged and fat and I just really didn't want to be bald too on top of it. But it was, it was more than that. It was people looking at me with pity and feeling mm-hmm. sorry for me because, you know, you, the one thing you want to do is you want to cover your head with something so you put a scarf around it. So what does a scarf on a bald head say? It says, oh, that poor thing, she's got cancer. And a lady actually said that out loud to her friend at a restaurant as I was walking by. And I thought, ah, I don't want to be that poor thing. So I made a decision to stay home until my hair grew back. And I had nine months of chemo coming up. And I was going to be bald for a really long time. And my friend Patty and Dennis, they found this stupid little hat on some online catalog or something. And this was a long time ago when online was not the big deal it is now. And they found this goofy hat and they ordered it for me and they brought it over to me. And it just was this dumb little uh, baseball cap. It was white with little black stick figures of bald-headed people. And right on the front, <laughs> it said, no hair day. And he, the, Dennis actually sent his wife to deliver it to me because he was afraid that I would be offended and I would not take it right. And Dennis is a character and a half. 
So, mm-hmm. but Patty got brave and she brought it over to me. And when she brought it, she had it in a bag and she, she wouldn't let me open it until I, uh, you know, said I would take it. I would laugh. I would, whatever, whatever it was, I would laugh. <laughs> and so when I opened the bag and I saw this goofy hat in there, I cracked up. I ran in the bathroom. I took off my scarf. I put that hat on. And honestly, Kara, for the first time since that whole thing had started, I actually smiled back at the reflection in the mirror because it made me laugh. And had mm-hmm. either one of them decided that oh, maybe they shouldn't be funny around me, would have destroyed me. And, you know, you just don't know what little itty-bitty act of kindness you're going to do that's going to change somebody's mm-hmm. life forever. I ended up writing a book about it. That hat project became one of the first projects at Breast Friends, which is the nonprofit I co-founded. And, you know, and I still talk about that hat to this day. And I still have that hat. It's been 24 years now, and I still have that hat, and it's going to be forever part of me, I believe. And um, it's just, but I could have missed out on that if they had decided to stay away and not laugh with me and not, they were just trying to help me recapture my sense of humor. They hadn't seen it in a while, Mm -hmm. but they knew it was in there, and it did not take much to bring it back out. (laughs) It sort of (laughs) created a monster in the process, I'm afraid, (laughs) but uh, it changes. We, We... we have to have those people around us that can help us see see the light and see the humor and and just keep us focused and balanced, I think. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about your nonprofit. Oh, okay. So um, part of the speaking thing, um, it definitely played a role. Um, so, okay, so my cancer diagnosis was in 1996. And in 2000, my friend Sharon and I were having lunch one day at a hospital because I had found a second lump, which just, you know, turned out to be nothing. But once you've had one lump, you don't assume the second one is nothing. And so we were waiting. The doctor was going to just go in and remove it. It was in my chest and he was just going to remove it um, from, you know, there in his office because it was really high level. You could feel it. And so he was going to take it out right there. And while we were waiting for that moment, we started talking about, you know, why is it that we both, um, have this gift of gab, and why is it that we both survived breast cancer? She was, she was my friend who, she was the first in our circle to go through breast cancer, and she went through it three years before I did, and um, so we became quite bonded over all of this, and um, so we decided that day over lunch that we should probably put this combined experience to good use and find a way to do something, so we came up with this concept. We didn't know what it would look like yet, but we came up with the name Breast Friends right away. And, um, but the, the original vision for Breast Friends was teaching the friends and family how to be supportive of their loved one so that their loved one or their friends that are going through this don't have to go through it alone. And that's how we started it was to, you know, the, the theory is that one in eight women will get breast cancer and the other seven will know her. And our goal was to teach the seven how to be supportive and helpful so that the one isn't just lost out there all by herself. And that's how we started it. And, um, but over time, you know, things can change quickly. And it's all kind of comes down to your focus. And see, my vision for teaching the friends and family was to do it from a stage. I could talk to, you know, 500 people at once and talk to them about how to support mm-hmm. someone through their journey. And Sharon was more focused on the one-on-one and teach, you know, being there to be that support person for the, the individual person who has no one to support her. So Breast Friends turned out to be all of that. 
And so now it's been 20 years. We started in August of, of 2000. Here it is 2020, and we're 20 years into this, and we're still going at it. You know, it's changed, it's changed its look a little bit. We've added the radio show. Um, we've added some new programs and things to it. But, but bottom line, we're still providing emotional support to women and their families um, by helping them kind of maneuver the waters of this this diagnosis and still still going at it our website's breastfriends.org just you know shameless plug there <laughs> <laughs> of course and I mean congratulations on 20 years thank you. that's a big deal thank you yeah we're, we're pretty proud of it it's you know I know a lot of uh, a lot of small businesses and and grassroots nonprofits that all have the best of intentions for whatever reason um, really struggle to make it and I'm not saying it's always easy for us either but you know, we're mm-hmm. just so darn determined and stubborn, I guess, maybe. Must be the Greek-Italian in me. I'm not sure. But, but we just, you know, you just fight hard, and sometimes it's harder than others. But um, but I think when you're doing the right thing for the right reasons, I, I think that you get a little spiritual help, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at everything that you have going on and what you've survived and what you've built and the family you have, like, what are you what are you most proud of when you look at where you're at today? Oh wow. Didn't expect that question. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that having a large family with, you know, five kids, I think having everybody want to stay connected, I'm pretty proud of that. You know, because we all hear stories about you've got the black sheep of the family that nobody's talked to and you know there there's I think every family has has those people, and it's sad. Um, but I'm pretty proud of the fact that all of our children have stayed connected. Um, last Thanksgiving, which, which was after my diagnosis, uh, Bill and I went to Boston to have Thanksgiving dinner with our daughter Elizabeth, who again you've met, and all of her of her siblings, all of our other children, booked flights and booked Airbnbs so they could go to Boston and be there for Thanksgiving. And we were all together. And that, that was a, a big source of pride for me, I think, to just see mm-hmm. all my children make that sacrifice and be there. That was, boy, it's going to make me cry just thinking about it again. <laughs> and then they stayed. Some of them were able to stay a little longer, and they made it through my birthday, which is, you know, follows is the first part of December. And my little grandson who lives in Boston, he was nine at the time. He wrote on the group card that they all got me for my birthday. He said, Grandma, I knew you'd make it one more year. (laughs) (laughs) I I loved that so much because it was so innocent and so transparent. And, you know, to just know that he's that child, the one that would have the heart to write something like that. Mm -hmm. I was just, that's just something I'm really, really thankful for and um, Mm -hmm. makes me want to cry. (laughs) Um, I have a husband who after we'll be married 40 years in May, um, we just canceled our trip to to, uh, Hawaii. We had a trip booked for Hawaii for our 40th anniversary, but the uh, hotel we're supposed to go stay at is closed. So (laughs) we had to cancel that. We just did that before our interview here. And, uh, but I'm so proud of him. I mean, we've, We've really gone through some tough times, and, and we're here, and we're stronger than ever, and, and he's 
been incredibly supportive of me and our kids during all of this. And, and I'm, I'm, that brings me so much joy just thinking about that too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's more. Well, we, <laughs> what about you? Sure. What about you? What brings, sure. what, what does that for you? Oh my, I mean, what, what's my, my victories? Mm-hmm. There's so many. Yeah. Like I, I think part of being happy and content is, in addition to finding magic in the small everyday things, is also being present to what what you are proud of mm-hmm. and what you can be thankful for. Mm-hmm. Um, just be, getting the chance to do this podcast is like a big thing on that list for me. So um, there really is so much. Yeah, that's good. and we got we met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because Elizabeth connected us yeah. so that I could support you in your goal of speaking in all 50 states in the U.S. Yes. Can we talk and about so we that su- for a minute? Because I want to tell people yes. what you came up with is this brilliant <laughs> idea. And it's been so much fun. So, um, all right. So, one of my goals, I have a bucket list. And I know we've talked about mm-hmm. that. And I've had many things on my bucket list. <clears throat> Excuse me. And just for the listeners who might be hearing this. Everyone should have a bucket list. And these are the things that in your mind, you've got them rolling around in your brain somewhere, but it's all the things you always wanted to do someday before you die. And write those things down because to really have an effective bucket list, two things need to happen. One, you need to write it down so you can really commit it to your heart. And then second, and probably even more important, you need to tell somebody what you're trying to do. Because when you have somebody in your court who's cheering you on with this bucket list instead of keeping it as a big surprise, um, they will actually try to find ways to help you do this. So, Kara, my dear, sweet, wonderful friend, um, when, I, when I shared with you my goal to speak in all 50 states as part of my bucket list, and when I said that to you, I had already spoken in 32 of the 50, so I only had 18 more to go. And then you said mm-hmm. something magical to me. You said, because we know with the, with the coronavirus that there are no big events right now, and with my health being as it is, you know, maybe if things do clear up out there, I still might, getting to 18 states might be tough, because that's a lot of commitment. And you said, is it important to speak in all 50 states, or is it important to speak to people in all 50 states? And so we decided to adjust, you and I together, (laughs) adjusted my bucket list goal to speak to people in all 50 states. And so you helped me by creating, suggesting that we create a Facebook page, a group called Breast Friends Around the Globe. And in that hour that you and I were speaking about this, you actually created the page for me. We created artwork. We had Elizabeth create the artwork for us for the banner. Um, but you came up with this brilliant idea to get people to, to hear and join and all that. So within a very short time, within about a week, we had 400 members. Um, and the goal of that is not just to join it, but to join it, go to my podcast, which is on Voice America, and listen to an episode I don't really care which one. I mean, I'd like to know which one. I'd like the <laughs> feedback. But I would love you to listen to a podcast, then come back to the group and make a statement about which one did you listen to and what were your thoughts on it and where are you from? And in that yeah. process, I have been able to take off another 11 states and I'm down to needing seven more. So it's time to give this another push again. Say, <laughs> so here's the yeah. seven. Here's the latest podcast. Please listen. But I'm just about ready to take this one off the bucket list. 
But like any good bucket list, you got to add something on if you take something off, right? (laughs) So so we're going to stretch that bucket list now once I've got all my states done. And we're going to push it to see how how wide we can go globally and see what countries we can get listeners in. Yes, which is totally possible. It's also part of the reason why, in addition to sharing your incredible and inspiring story, you know, people who listen to this podcast will count as well. Yeah. And I know that we have a global audience, Yay. so I'm super excited <laughs> to add add on to that list oh, as well. Gosh. How will we know? Well, do yeah. we do we have a way to know where they're listening from? Mm-hmm. Yep, I can see all the stats for your nice. episode. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah, we'll just, I do have to get a world map. I only have a U.S. map right now, but <laughs> got to get the big globe out here. And I've got these little sparkly sticker things that I put on the states where I've spoken or been heard. Yeah. So now I can go and add the, the countries as well. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's it's kind of exciting. But yeah, you really helped me with that little bucket list goal. Thank you. My pleasure. Of course. No. And we were just talking to another guest about how, you know, it's great to have really big audacious goals Mm -hmm. that sound ridiculous because why not? Like it's, it is a game. It's all a game and it's fun. And so as soon as we were talking about no longer speaking in, but being heard in, Mm -hmm. that's why we named the Facebook group around the, around the globe, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, 50 states. No, we're going bigger. We're going bigger. (laughs) Yeah, we'd have to stop Um, and do a new one, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's such a, it's such a fun game. And I think to say like in what a week you had 400 people, like that's, that's a big deal. Like in modern day, it is not hard to connect to the people you need to. And this, this circles back to your position on have a goal and write it down and tell someone Mm -hmm. and keep telling people. And You've done you and Bill have done such a good job on the page of like interacting with everyone and building it and pushing it. And you see that is it work? Yes. Is it a lot of work? No, right? Like to make all this happen, right. you just have to do it. But it's and, fun work too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. These are people yeah. that are trying to be part of that that dream making. And, you know, how can that yeah. be anything but fun? I mean, just to participate there, there's a little bit more there too Kara and I, I just wanted to kind of add this I, I I'm not quite sure how to s- start it so I'll just say it and I might have to fix it mm-hmm. um, when we're doing something like this whether it's me being here on this interview with you or if it's me interacting with the people on my best friends around the globe page or if it's somebody listening on the if I'm interviewing somebody on the radio show while I am doing that those things I don't have time to think about what I'm going through, what my body's going through with cancer. I don't have time. I can't think about both. I've always been a terrible multitasker. You know, I can focus on one thing at a time. I am not good with more than that. So for me, by focusing on these other things, um, I was given this, this phrase by a friend of mine named Shawnee Fox. She's a naturopathic physician. And she talks about staying in the light. And staying in the light is means basically it, we uh, we've added some other meanings to it, but the bottom line, it means doing what you love in spite of what's going on or, you know, in your life at the moment. So when I'm on the air interviewing somebody or like this being interviewed by you, I'm not thinking about what this cancer is doing to my body at the moment. You know, it's just like in a whole nother world. It just doesn't exist as part of this. So this is me staying in the light. And when I'm staying in the light, um, Deepak Chopra made a, had a, a quote, and that is that, Every cell in your body is eavesdropping on your thoughts. And 
if I, if I'm going through something really negative and I'm just laying there on my couch, focusing on all the junk going on in my life or thinking about the coronavirus and all this, you know, that's all negative thoughts. And when I can push those out of the way and do something like this, where it's just all positive thoughts, that my body's listening to that too. And I'm, when you stay in the light and all of us are like that, you know, when we can stay in the light and do what we love, whether we're painting a picture, I'm a terrible painter, so I don't do that. But, <laughs> um, but we all have gifts and talents and things that, that the Lord has given us, you know, to do. And these gifts are, are to come in all kinds of, of shapes and sizes. And, you know, for some people, it's, it is art. For some people, it is the ability to stand on a stage and speak. For others, it's the gift of listening or the gift of compassion. These are, these are things that can't really be taught that well they're they're gifts and when you can put those gifts to to good use you know to make the world a better place in some way or even the moment a better moment in some way doesn't have to be big just a little thing but like that hat Mm -hmm. the day my friend brought me that hat life-changing for me you know and it wasn't a big deal they just kind of think that I've overplayed it no, there's no overplaying that. That was, that was given to me out of heart, you know, a place of, of fabulous heart. And, and it's, it changed my life. And so we can all be that person for others, you know, help, help people stay in the light. You know, it's hard to kind of get there by yourself sometimes. And, and an, an analogy or a, a picture I like to, I guess that would be an analogy that I like to kind of put out. If you had a, just picture a little golf ball rolling across your floor. And your floor is maybe a little uneven, so it's going over into that dark corner, right? And what does it take to shift that golf ball and have it go a different direction? doesn't take much. Just give it a little tap, push it back out away from the corner, and it rolls back into the light, right? Sometimes our friends roll into a dark corner, and we see it happening. We see them rolling into the corner, and we can push them back into the light by some simple little gesture, you know, with mm-hmm. Dennis and Patty, it was my hat, you know, with my kids, it's setting up a Zoom call. It's, 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 there's just so many ways that we can help bring people back into the light so that they can continue to shine and do the things that, that they were put on this mm-hmm. earth to do. So I think we all play a role. I'm going to cry. I think we all play a role in helping those that we love continue to to thrive and to be important. You know, mm-hmm. It's so easy when your friend is going through something tough, you don't want to say the wrong thing, you don't want to do the wrong thing, so you back away completely to avoid it. And all that does is end a friendship, a beautiful friendship. And I, I hate to see those things happen, but it does all the time. Yeah, I, I think that fear of doing the wrong thing prevents so many mm-hmm. things from happening. It prevents you from being the friend or family member that you need to be. It prevents you mm-hmm. from taking a risk or a new job or yeah. from any growth that you have. So being afraid of, of what you might do wrong is like, whenever I feel that way, I'm like, Mm-mm, that means I should do yeah. it. It's fine. <laughs> and, you know, And it's okay to say to people when they're going through something ugly that you don't understand, you don't get it. It's right. perfectly okay to say that. You know, just to say, you know, Kara, I know you're going through something really tough right now, and I can't even begin to understand what you're feeling, but I just want you to know that I am here to support you in this. And if you need to talk at all, or if it's okay, can I call you, you know, once a week, we'll 
chat and just, you know, if you ever want to talk to me, that's okay. You don't have to, but I'm going to keep calling. Is that okay? I mean, who would say no to that, right? Yeah. (laughs) And people don't have to have all the answers, but I think one of the greatest fears that that you have when you're going through something tough is that the world will go on with you, without you, and no one will know. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to suddenly fall off the planet. No one's going to care. No one's going to remember. And that's, that's sad and that's hard to, yeah. to think about that. And yet so many people end up doing that exact thing. So as, as survivors of life, <laughs> I think it's our job to make sure that people don't spend their time like this alone and feeling like yeah. they don't matter because we all matter. All of us matter. Yes, everyone matters. And everyone has such an uh, impact to make that they don't realize that they make every day. Yeah. Every day, there. It most of the impact you make during your lifetime are those micro moments that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you look back at, at your life, how has the definition of being powerful or being a powerful lady changed um, over time? Oh, um, you know, when you think about powerful ladies, I, I think that the first thing we go to is is celebrities that have made statements and done big, fabulous things, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. created universities and given people lots and lots of money. And, you know, those are powerful people, but, and there was probably a time when I may have kind of been sucked into that a little bit too, believing those things myself. And I don't mean that in in a derogatory sense at all, but, but when I was thinking about this interview and who are the powerful ladies in my life? There is one person in particular, and I know we're, I don't know how we're doing on time, but there's one person in particular that nobody's ever heard of. And her name is Shirley Johnson. And I met Shirley when Bill and I were, were first engaged and we were like in our mid twenties at the time. And I met Shirley, she was probably in her mid forties, I think, cause her kids were our age. Um, and Shirley had MS. And, but at that time, she was still functional. She could get around with a, with a cane, you know, just move around. So, but she had this beautiful spirit. She was very, just loved the Lord. And she had this amazing spirit. And she was always asking people about how they're doing. And she was always praying for other people. Well, and, and that's great. I've known a lot of people like that. But then something happened with Shirley. She, her MS got worse and worse and worse until the point where she was completely 100% bedridden. Her neck, I don't know what happens in MS, but even her neck, it was as if it had been fused together and she couldn't even turn her head. And so in order for people to come and visit her, they'd have to come her into her bedroom and walk around the other side of the bed so she could see them. Otherwise, she'd have to roll her over to see you. So it was easier just to walk around. And But every time you walked in to see her, she just lit up. You know, even though she's completely bedridden, can't move a muscle, nothing, can't move anything. She's always asking about you. How are you doing? I've been praying for you. It's all about you. It was never about her. It was never about, oh, yeah, you know, never about (laughs) Shirley. It was always about you. And, you know, I wasn't there when Shirley passed, but the stories that were told, I can just see them so clearly in my mind. Apparently, just moments before she passed, her family, you know, the hospice workers always know when this is coming, right? So her family was there, and they were all gathered around her. 
And all of a sudden, this is the story they told at her funeral. All of a sudden, her face lit up. She looked around the room, moving her neck, and said, oh, they're here. And nobody really knew what she meant, but friends, angels, I don't know. But she passed moments later with a smile on her face, acknowledging that mm-hmm. they're here. They came, an army of angels, I believe, came to get her and take her home. And when I think about Shirley, and I think about her love of other people and how other people mattered more than she did, you know, and, and there, there's such a lesson in that. And mm-hmm. I want to be like Shirley, you know, and there are times when I don't feel anything like her at all. And then there's other times I want to be exactly like her. Um, she was one of the most heartfelt women I've ever met in my life. And to me, her memory and what she left in this world for her family, that's a powerful lady. Yeah, really is. I love that. And I'll tell you another powerful lady to me is my daughter, Elizabeth. Um, Mm -hmm. She sees the best in people all the time. And I've just been admiring her posts lately when she says happy birthday to a friend. She goes on and on and on about this miraculous person that, it's like, I want to know that person, too. Yeah. She's got a gift yeah. for making people feel very special. And um, so Elizabeth McGarry, she's, she's, a, she's a powerful lady. And my daughter, Tanya. Tanya's been through some really difficult things in her life and has come out shining on the other side of it. So there's power in that, too. She's been there. She's done it all. And she, um, she knows what it takes to survive in this world. And that's, and she's not afraid to share that. So I've got two very powerful lady daughters that I'm very, very proud of. There's my, again, a shameless plug for my kids. But, you know, I, uh, those are the people I want to mention when I think about powerful ladies. And I'm, yeah. Powerful ladies make powerful ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I love what you're doing because you're the one that's bringing this all together and making it work. So we really, really appreciate Thank you. you. And, uh, yeah, of course. I get to do everything I love every day. So that's what else can you do? (laughs) That's awesome. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. When you look at ways that, you know, you're keeping yourself, you know, focused on your goals or balance, like what else are you doing besides connecting with family and speaking and having your radio show? Like, what are you doing um, for fun and to fill your time? (laughs) Well, if we're not going to go deep spiritual into this, um, I do love jigsaw puzzles and I, have one I found <laughs> online that you can download. And I've actually had that one on my on my iPad for years. And you get lots of free pictures. And you can also, I paid for the upgraded version years ago. It cost me like an extra three bucks once. Mm-hmm. And now I can upload my own photos and it will instantly turn it into a 400-piece jigsaw puzzle. Um, so that's pretty cool. I like doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Bill and I read the Bible every day. We've got one of those going through the Bible in a year. Yeah. You know, and we started actually last May, May 11th. So when I get to May 10th, I will have gone through the whole year. <laughs> so, um, but we find a lot of joy in doing that together. And out of, after 40 years of marriage, we've never done that together until last year. So um, I think it's been really good for our marriage and um, kind of brings a, just brings it cohesive and, you know, makes us, yeah. just brings us together during that time. Even my dog seems to like it. He'll sit on my lap while I'm, <laughs> I always read out loud. So Bill just listens and I read and our dog listens too. <laughs> it's 
think he's getting well versed in the Bible, but um, <laughs> but I do love doing and that, guys- and and I love when I see somebody texting me. I'll pick up the phone and call them back and say, I want to hear your voice. I don't care about your, <laughs> your fingers are typing. I want to hear your voice. And so I've been talking to more people lately just just to shoot mm-hmm. the breeze, you know. And I love that because it's bringing us full connection there too. So, And you guys have a, a house on the coast. We do. Also. We do. Mm-hmm. It was a bucket list dream. It was actually on my bucket list to own a cabin on a lake one day. It was kind of looking like that was never going to happen because it's kind of expensive. But this particular one came up at the right time. The price was dropped at the right time. And they were just like, oh, come on, let's just knock this thing down and sell it. And we just happened to be there when they did that. And uh, we've owned it now for almost 10 years. And um, we love it. We've made some changes to it. And it's beautiful. It's, It's not on the lake. It's above the lake. But we have this amazing view. It's a million dollar view and it is not a million dollar cabin (laughs) by any (laughs) sense. Um, But we love it. It's peaceful and, you know, just nice, nice uh, place to go as an alternative to the apartment that we downsized into. (laughs) And you're in Oregon right now. We are, yeah. Are you from Oregon originally? No, I don't know where to say I was from originally. I was born in Alaska. My dad was in the military spent my little kid years in Colorado and then I uh, moved to Seattle and graduated from high school. And I actually met Bill when I was in Seattle and he was in Portland and we commuted um, up and down the freeway to see each other. We met on a boat. I was actually on a date with another guy and he <laughs> saw us both get on the boat and uh, saw, Hmm, I, I think I want to know her. And he had no idea if we were married or what the deal was, but he was very determined to find out. And he found out very quickly that no, we were not married. We weren't even really together. We were just, it was just a, a, a date to see if we were ready to take the next step. And we were not. <laughs> so um, I met Bill and, and that was a long time ago now for over 40 years ago now. But, um, but yeah, so not sure why I told you that, but was, okay. <laughs> I asked. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're pretty close to getting your bucket list goal of being heard or speak in 50 yeah, states. Yeah. We talked about expanding that goal mm-hmm. to be however many countries or cities mm-hmm. you can get globally. Yep. What else is on your list besides Well, that? the other ones are a little bit selfish. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, it's, it's funny. The things I have no control over have not happened. Mm-hmm. The things that I have control over have happened because mm-hmm. my bucket list was quite long and I've actually checked off things. And every time I check one off, I add one on, but I've checked off a lot more than I've added on. And I was going through it the other day. Well, so one of my goals I've always thought would be a real hoot and that would be to sing with Kenny Loggins. Would love to sing with Kenny Loggins, but I don't know him. I don't know anyone who knows him. And he has no Mm -hmm. idea that that's on my bucket list. So that may or may not happen. I might have to settle for singing along with his records. I don't know. Um, So that's still on there. It may remain there till the day I die. Um, I always wanted to be on Oprah, but now I'd rather be on Ellen. Um, Not sure why. I think just... She's fun. She's funny. Oh, I'd love to dance with her. Like, you know, get up there on this. I'm not sure my lungs could handle it, but we could give it a try. But I would love to be on, on Ellen's show. I just think she's adorable. Um, but those are things that are undone. I always wanted to get back to a size 10 and I almost took that one off my list. And then I realized, Hey, I'm in a size 10 (laughs) or less. Um, so that's kind of cool, you know? So I was actually able to check that one off. Um, so there really truly is not that much on my list anymore, but I need to 
find a couple more things. I did have a dream one time of dancing with Patrick Swayze. And I really, he was on, it was to dance with him was on my list. And then he got sick and it was looking like it was never going to happen. But, you know, God has a way of, of honoring our wishes anyway. And he literally gave me a dream that was so powerful and so real. It feels to me like I danced with Patrick Swayze. And I told my husband about it in the morning and he goes, fine, can you please take this off your list now? <laughs> I said, yes, I think I can. Um, so maybe he'll give me Kenny Loggins the same way, you know. But, you know, all the things that were on my list or things that really I did have some control over making happen. And, you know, with God, all things are possible. So, um, you know, sometimes it's just those silly things, you know, that we put. But, you know, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a fun thing to talk about. But yeah, for everyone who has a bucket list or doesn't have one, make one and then tell somebody. When Bill found out I wanted to um, spend a week at a bed and breakfast in Vermont with him, you know, he said, I didn't know you wanted to do that. And before the evening was over, we had the trip planned. And we had the, the uh, it was not an Airbnb at the time, just a bed and breakfast. We had it booked. We had the, mm-hmm. the uh, lodging or the airfare booked. And it's like, why didn't you tell me you had this on your list? I think like, I never told anybody about any of it, you know. So tell somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm going to restate that. Tell somebody who loves you who can <laughs> help you make it happen. So <laughs> I love it. Yes. Um, we ask everyone on the podcast where they rank themselves on the Powerful Lady scale. Zero is average everyday human. Ten is the most powerful lady you can think of. Um, where would you rank yourself right now, today? And where do you think you rank yourself? We all have things that we contribute, and we all have things that we wish we did better. And I think they neutralize each other. <laughs> so I don't feel like I'm the most powerful lady ever. Um, I The difference is maybe between me and some others might be just the idea of trying to stay focused on what I love. And it's not always easy, but just knowing how important it is, I think that might move me up one notch on the scale. I just, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody has a great answer to that and I don't, but, um, <laughs> but it feels real to me. Um, but everyone can do that, you know, just find those ways to, to love what, what you can in life and move forward and, and uh, just be the best you can be. You know, you're not competing with other powerful ladies, right? We're just doing the best we nope. can to, be, to empower ourselves, I guess, and, and trusting in God to yeah. guide a lot of those steps along the way, you know, so, so important. Well, is it before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to share or um, pass along to everyone listening right now? Never lose hope. You know, that, that's our tagline on our radio show is to remember there is always hope and we're here to help you find it. And hope to me is my favorite four-letter word. Without it, we have nothing. And never lose hope. There's always something coming around the corner that will make your life better than it is right at this moment. So never lose hope. Amen to that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Powerful Ladies podcast. Thank you you for letting me be a a contribution to you. Uh, I'm so excited to hear 
where else people are listening from once this episode comes out, who else is following you on your Facebook group. Um, I'm just really excited to amaze you and surprise you at how many people are a yes to you and your bucket list that you've never even met. <laughs> I would love that. Um, <laughs> Because it's true. Yeah. So um, it's been such a pleasure to not only work with you, but also to now have you as a guest. And um, you are you are a powerful lady. So thank you. Thank you so much, Kara. 